Hello, Mad Practice listeners. We are so looking forward to diving into this 2022 season. However, before that, we have our next four episodes to air, which were recorded back in 2021. These next couple of episodes are particularly special to us, as it was the first time Camille and I met in person. It was electric for the three of us to finally be together, and we hope that you feel even a spark of the beautiful energy that we experienced during those couple of days. We are so excited to be returning for many more conversations, so welcome back. We're so glad you're here, wherever you think you are. Hi. 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 Good Good morning to you, fine sir. Good morning to you. Back in person, Woo! together again, ride or die. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my friends. And we have another light topic. Yeah. You know, just a little thing. Hey, wait a minute. Before mm-hmm. we get to the topic, how are you? Um, I'm feeling, I'm feeling really good today. I was, I was pretty, I, I felt pretty hollowed out yesterday. <laughs> After our recording session? Yeah, we had a recording session that was like good, but uh, gave a lot, took a lot. And then, yeah, yeah, anyway, I got home yesterday and I was like, I feel pretty broken. I feel there's, here's a short list of things I have to do. Yeah. Like my need to pack my daughter's lunch for school yes, tomorrow good. there was a like a grant application that was due at midnight and i was like i have to do that Ugh. yeah but and and then and then i did like no healthy things for myself i obsessively watched the news i rewatched a press conference from our glorious premiere here in alberta that was a bad idea <laughs> i watched a, a tv show that went from being like okay, well, this is interesting to later on in its season now we're like, oh, this is actually really bad. <laughs> this is no good. Oh. I like, I just did nothing. No, I did no good care things. But maybe not. Because sometimes I think that that zone out that happens when we watch shows or, I mean, it's a fine line. I don't want to justify it. But sometimes I think that little zone out is a little kind of quieting of something in the mind and it is it's a lot better than you know other things so in a in a scale in my mind you didn't do the worst things you could have done yeah I didn't do the worst things I do think it's good I think it's good for me to say sometimes that you know I, I I do think about the you know with our podcast which is very close to very similar maybe slightly more formalized than our just like conversations mm-hmm. our, our phone chats mm-hmm. but i don't want to pretend like i've got all these like self-care tips figured out and all these like solid mad practices that i'm i'm able to have in place all the time like sometimes i do just like blow a night yeah well i think that's probably a great mad practice and i think we'll call it blow a night and yeah leave it open to interpretation but <laughs> it is really true that it's not about being better and getting everything right and that sometimes the best mad practice is like i'm out yeah i'm out for whatever i'm gonna i'm gonna watch this show i'm gonna because i think we put all sorts of pressure and so does the industry and so does the world about you know if you just did these things you'd be okay yeah and i and and there's a lot of times like throughout the night 
I would recriminate myself and because I knew I know I was like, here's I, I, I have in some ways a, a literal list. I have a notebook of like literal practices I could do. And then I have extra things in my mind yeah. that I know would make me feel better. Yeah. That I could put my phone away and I could like even just like reading a book rather than looking at Twitter or the news app, that would be better for me. You know, like like all these different things. I'm also, uh, this last weekend, I got overly ambitious and started painting the this like large kind of pantry storage area in my apartment, um, which just means that the rest of my apartment is just <laughs> covered in like jars of beans and, and like, and, and like my daughter's the life jacket and just like so my house is a disaster awesome and we like cleared out a little section of the couch where i can lie down um and so i so yeah it's very much like i know all these things i could do and i'm and i didn't do any of those things yeah but i mean you know i think i i love that you're talking about that i really do because me too i have a what works list literally I have a book, but then I have a what a what works list in my wallet in case of emergency. And sometimes I know I know I'm going in the opposite direction, but sometimes actually in terms of like perfectionism and hyper vigilance, it's actually a good thing. And then I find I don't go too far. I'm not. I didn't run away to Mexico, and you know I I might have you know, avoided a couple of responsibilities and watched a bad show Yeah. or binged on Twitter for an hour, but here I am. And sometimes, you know, that, that, that's a victory. Yeah. And it does <laughs> help. Like I do feel better today and it, it is a reminder. I mean like, okay, I don't, I didn't feel good last night. Mm-hmm. Um, and today I am going to do some of those other things. You know? Yeah, and that, that's a great reminder too, right? Like everything's always changing, including our emotional states. And I don't know, like I, I, I just, I, I got a gift last night because I am in town, you know, uh, visiting, uh, hanging out with my mom. And um, I too was, wow, Cole and I, I'm glad that wasn't our first episode. I'm glad that wasn't our first ever conversation. I'm so glad, you know, I'm so grateful for our friendship because I felt everything we talked about viscerally, like left here going, holy, that was great. I, I feel like we did work that matters, but I'm shaky. I'm going to get something to eat. I'm going to just, I did not get a scooter. I I got a, um, I was going to rent a scooter and have a little joy ride, but I, I was like, no, that's a bad idea. I am too. And then I got to go home and, um, and my, my dad died a few months ago and I, I got the task of kind of cleaning out the garage. So it was perfect because I was all by myself. It was kind of manual labor. It was sorting, which is remarkably soothing. You know, it's like, although deeply disturbing how many screwdrivers my dad had, uh, a real collector, you know, and, and, and I was so grateful for that. I just kind of made a cup of coffee. I went out to the garage. I was, you know, really in his energy, you know, his, his space and, and I thought, uh, it's interesting when you mention recrimination, because I thought, should be doing this faster? It took me a while to figure out how to sort things and, mm-hmm. you know, where I could take some of the extra tools and all that. And then I was like, there is no, can you, it, it, it actually was an indicator to me about how revved I still was. Yeah. Because it, it, I was like, I, I gotta, I gotta know exactly what to do with everything. Like, 
had toxic materials and things, right? And I was like, no, you can put these in a box here and you can put the tools here and you can, and it was, it was lovely. But it, it is interesting that the mad practice too is like, you know, of being, being where we are, you know, and not in the old days, I would have pushed, I think I, I really can push away from feelings. So I can use busyness and, and try get things done. But if I haven't taken care of how I actually feel, I don't get those things done. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like I'm chasing them. And so that that gives me worth. But it's ridiculous, because I can't do work when I'm like that. <laughs> Certain kinds of work. So and now we're going to delve into another little lighty ho dee 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 subject. Yeah. So today, <laughs> today, the emotion that we're launching off from in this episode is uh, what we're, we're using the term eco-anxiety. We, we've also bandied about ecological grief, but essentially we're talking about climate change, climate and mental health and how yes. that, how those two things are uh, increasingly big part of our lives and very connected to each other which was you know when we were brainstorming ideas for this next batch of episodes that we're doing this was this was one of the first ones that we mentioned about i think it's ones it's something that you and i are both feeling really keenly um but i'm excited to talk about it because i don't have a i don't have a, a grasp a grasp of it i feel it i i can see and especially reflecting over the last few years see it as a a pretty big part of my life part of my like psyche over the last couple of years but i don't have i i haven't i haven't explored it uh not out loud anyways yeah a lot so that's why i'm i'm excited to dig yeah. into it a bit with you yeah i'm well yeah i mean i think that this is the area where i've had um many, many conversations with people who really don't, um, haven't known any kind of anxiety, uh, you know, maybe worry people that definitely haven't had a diagnosis of, uh, general anxiety disorder or any other kind of anxiety that uh, I think everybody could be diagnosed with general anxiety disorder now because of the world we're living in. And so the point is not that everybody has to go and get diagnosed, but that we are all in a time that is about loss, uh, you know, I think as individuals, we've, and we've done an episode on grief, you know, we've all experienced loss in our life. And I think that was one of the biggest uh, things I had to learn in life was that life is loss. And that doesn't necessarily stepping back from it doesn't mean you'll have a great life, you know, if you protect yourself, leaning in and, and all that life brings loss is unavoidable but now we're in we're all in this situation where you know if you look at grief if grief is about loss you know we're, we're losing weather rhythms we're losing species we're losing things that we've always known you know we're losing diversity we're losing um knowledge like you know the it's it's all changing so fast we're living in uh cloaked in fire smoke yeah. you know every summer where it's unavoidable yeah and so i think that the real the real thing to focus on i think is that it's a healthy response it's a it's a mental health response it's a um it's the start of a healthy response that like that anxiety is not actually a disorder yeah you know that 
dealing with it is is you know there are skills and things we can do but that to feel that kind of worry is the correct response then it's about how do we accept you know that this is this is part of our emotional life because we live in a world where you know physically the goal is zero pain you know which is an impossible goal mentally zero worry zero anxiety zero mental distress and so we have to start retelling the story that that's not possible yeah and and we were lied to and the price of that is addiction or you know of all kinds it, it, we can't avoid this so how do we again my my theme song increase our capacity for uncomfortable feelings and this one is really uncomfortable because yeah. because I think every generation has felt like there's something that's going to end the world, be it, be it a bomb, be it war, be it, you know, generally those things. Now we're like, okay. Also, also we're in COVID. Yeah. Which is a, you know, a natural disaster also. So that's the deal. Like, how do we not lean out? How do we not become immobilized? How do we keep things in scale? Like, what can I do and what can't I do? How can we not choose denial? Yeah. You know? And and I think what compounds it for me and maybe for a bunch of folks over the last year or, like, the last couple of years of COVID as well is, like, a couple of other losses. I, I'm experiencing a real loss of hope mm -hmm. and a loss of faith in our societal capacity to to do collective action and 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 follow through like there's a like like i especially over the last few months in the fourth wave of covid that we're experiencing of this sort of like uh you know fourth wave of the unvaccinated and seeing just a lot of you know social division and and anger and uh resistance to public policy and public health and science i i i over the last couple of months have really connected in my mind climate denial or inaction or or those kinds of things with with anti-vax anti-mask movements as well and and complacency like and so so i, I feel like in in general the last this i don't know back half of the pandemic whatever what, however what, whatever timeline i set on it has really challenged my belief in in just like as a a society both you know locally nationally and internationally like what we're capable or not of and it's pretty earth-shattering like it really like it really does challenge like faith and hope mm -hmm. in fundamental like existential ways mm -hmm. and then this summer i think for a lot of canadians it felt viscerally real climate change felt viscerally real with, with a combination of the heat dome and the wildfire smoke, yeah, like it, which is I, I think always been a, a, a challenge with climate movements is is it's so huge mm -hmm. it's on such a massive macro scale it's hard to make it tangible, mm -hmm. but when like people are dying from heat, yeah, and your kids aren't allowed to play outside because the air quality is so bad, there's a like a physical danger that people around the world have been experiencing for years yeah. that a lot of folks in Canada hadn't experienced before this summer yeah. in, in such a sustained way. Yeah. And that's why I, I think that to, to focus on that, it's the beginning of a healthy response. 
to feel, you know, um, the kind of uh, freeze of fear, to feel overwhelmed, to feel uh, a loss, a complete loss of hope and faith. Like that's part of our humanity. Yeah. That is, that's the deal, you know, like what, what I'm finding interesting is that, you know, it, it's, it's forcing us to look at the existential questions that, you know, we, we can easily, you know, in capitalism and patriarchy, we can easily shield ourselves. We, we can't now. We are all being called up to this absurd notion that we are on this planet and we, ne we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when our loved ones are going to die. We, we, we control hardly anything. And so how are we supposed to, you know, be good people? Yeah. Stay kind. And to me, I think it's, a, it is a calling to, um, to two things. It's real, which is a, just a mad practice, man. This is the fundamental mad practice. This is real because I think that when we, when we think about madness, it's often, um, distorted thinking and out, outscale emotion, right? Mm -hmm. or, and those things attach to a story, right? Something that, that the head is often linking to things that aren't linked. So we have to be forced with like, if this is really happening, and it is. So the first mad practice that, you know, because I am prone to delusional thinking, this is really happening. So then it's like in my body feeling that rush of fear my chest seizes, you know, anxiety. I feel like I can't breathe. Everything is kind of numb. I, 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 I just want to run around. I can't find a thought. I, it's, it's overwhelmingly uncomfortable. Like I don't like it, but then if I breathe into that and like, that's what's right here. And that's what should be right here as the heat dome, you know, hit, hit Vancouver with un, un, unprecedented heat, like for a coastal city, just, and crisped all the trees, all the flowers, all the ground. Nothing was very green in Vancouver this summer. Yeah. And you realize, um, okay, this is this is real. And then you sit with that anxiety and then you go, okay, breathe into it. Okay, what can I do right now? Then the brain goes, about this whole thing? Nothing. Then you gotta go, okay, brain, but right now, I'm gonna have a drink of water, okay. Then there's a choice point. Do I... Do I read more disaster journalism? I think I know enough about what's going on. I'm figuring it out right now. That's not going to help. Or those seagulls on the roof across from my apartment, and they have babies, and there's no water up there. So there's me <laughs> figuring out, like with takeout containers, putting ice and water in them and leaving a little lip open, tossing it on the roof, trying mesh bags, looking like the crazy lady standing on a dumpster with it in, in the back of my huge apartment, which like is all balconies looking down. Of course, no one's looking, but it feels like tossing water up to the seagulls Yeah, because it's all I can do. So that began to open my heart and my chest again. And it was like, yes, sure. That, that judgmental is like, really? You're going to, that's, that's all you can do. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, right. Right now, that's all I can do. And I think that the keeping alive of hope is, is in random acts of kindness. It is in, you know, then your eyes start to open up to other things. And then I was on a little walk in the neighborhood and I saw in this park, people had left coolers and take what you can, 
leave some if you can of water of bottled water mm -hmm. and then i saw um the community kitchens that had popped up over covid um community fridges um stocked with more ice and more you know so you start to if you if you keep your own kindle alive of yeah or i, I don't mean kindle flicker uh, of hope alive you start to see other things and i think that it's it's it is about how are we nourishing that part of ourselves because it's at one hand holding what's real but on the other hand realizing that we don't hear and see what comes to the top of our news feeds is not solution is not communities working together is not how are communities dealing with grief and loss and we don't even hear about that we yeah. just hear of the next this and the next so kind of taking a personal responsibility to go but for me what's real is maybe the world is ending maybe we're we're at the end of humanity maybe that's what's really happening so while i'm here what what am i going to do yeah and a lot of times it's like a little bit of kindness and then a cold bath where i'm crying and feeling ineffectual and letting it move through my body and that's the reality and if that's madness then i'll take it yeah as opposed to i'm not i can't do anything about it fuck it i'm going to just but you know it it to me, it all comes down to call like we are feeling beings and this is scary. And no one, there's nothing that's going to take this feeling away except maybe being able to talk about it, being real about it and, and mourning our losses, which are enormous. Yeah. And I do, I, I really appreciate that because I do think there is, you know, it's, a common and, and maybe increasingly common refrain to be like, well, your personal choices don't, don't matter. Like what, what we need is global action. You know, we need, we need governments to step up. We need to decarbonize and we need to probably geoengineer a lot. And we need little nuclear plants all around and we need to plant a billion trees and that like only governments can do that. And like all this stuff, which is true that the, the, the massive amounts of action are, are going to come on a macro level. But I think finding ways to take personal action or to have a sense of personal uh, participation or responsibility is important for me. For two, It works for me for two ways. One is that there is some element of like those things in aggregate do make a difference. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, you, you know, like whatever it is, reducing your plastic consumption, composting, changing lifestyle habits, planting a tree, those things in aggregate are a part of the picture. But for me, the bigger thing is, is like, I, I can understand objectively that global macro humongous action has to be taken, but that's a very hard thing for me to feel, to, to make real for me. When you say like, this is real, you know, like, and, and so individual choice aside from it in aggregate, having some impact just keeps it, keeps it literal for me, keeps mm -hmm. it, keeps mm -hmm. it tangible like mm -hmm. it's it it keeps it in the front of my mind you know to be thinking about to, to not just be thinking about it in the abstract but to be making decisions yeah and then the very real thing that we're in a time where you know our governments are not being like this is the end you know of capitalism and possibly the world like like and i don't say that as a you know uh, a doom and gloom person i i but i just it's so clear that it it's not sustainable and will something i don't know all i know 
all I know because of having my own systems break down is that often the only way to keep going is to do the next right thing and to not to to recognize what I can control and what I can't and sometimes that means sitting with really uncomfortable things like where do I want to put my energy so can I affect some sort of larger change so in the same way keep my individual choices you know I mean I can't very well protest the pipelines when I still drive a car like things like that yeah Just, so so the personal work that goes into what would it take for me to not have a car how how would that be the joy that I have on the road trip that I've done probably thousands of times from Vancouver to Calgary the you know the the paradox of that yeah that I'm in this beautiful corridor of nature driving my car does not escape me but I want to stay in touch with those feelings with that very real grappling that we all have and then the larger things can I should all my art be focusing on this connection between uh, mental health and and climate change should my life choices what what can I do it takes that commitment to quiet moments and then sometimes I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on my mental health activism as a way of staying connected to that as a way of because we're in a time where our governments are failing you know like is this a democracy we just had a snap election called <laughs> during the fourth wave of covid yeah like come on and you know uh, uh i had to do advanced voting and to to be able to do that was like who's going to do this there's no parking around here uh it's less than safe in terms of covid it's less than safe in terms of um, just what was going on at the particular polling station and I just thought to myself, where, you know, and a guy was there yelling and going on about where the where the polling station was and that he had a right to vote without a mask. Police came and threw him down without even talking to him. I was like, where do I live? And then the juxtaposition of like, people have been seeing this every day of their lives. And mm -hmm. I am just seeing this randomly. Um you know, and so recognizing that, like the distance of privilege is all collapsing. Am I going to keep, am I going to stay awake? Am I going to stay with my feelings? Am I, am I going to lean in or am I going to lean out? Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I could cry right now. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned driving because I've a couple of, so it, it with me, I'm finding that when I reflect over the last few years, that. I have not experienced too much climate-induced panic or anxiety, but I've had moments of, like, super high panic that then gloms on to climate in, uh -huh. in, a, in, in ways that, like, surprise me. And, and there's, like, two kind of days that I'm thinking of in particular that were both while I was driving and, like, having having you know, a panic attack or something like that. And then suddenly having this intense fixation on climate. Uh, I'll, I'll tell just this summer actually was one of them when I was my, my daughter, her summer care program um, was originally like, I live in the kind of inner city of, of Calgary and, and walk and bike uh, most everywhere. And we had this uh, summer care place for my daughter that was a few, like a few blocks away. And we bought a little like ride along bike. I was going to tow her on, on her bike to 
summer care every morning and then bike into work and do that loop every day. I was really looking forward to it. We did for three days uh, and they flooded because uh, there was a like the, the there was a flash flood that broke the heat wave in Calgary on her third day. And her summer care place had another site in the far northeast of Calgary. It was a good like especially during rush hour times, uh, like a 45 minute, maybe an hour long drive one way. Uh, so that's what happened to my summer instead of this like beautiful bike ride every morning. Uh, I just had two, two and a half hours in the car. Uh, and there was a day where I was driving and I was running a little late and I was driving to go pick her up and the heat, you know, it was like plus 35 and uh, just horrible smoke and the air quality index hit a 10 and then and all day I'd been pretty obsessively checking the air quality index and then all of a sudden there was a 10 plus on the on the weather canada website I was like what what does 10 plus mean it was like oh that means they like it's beyond the scale like they they like it like <laughs> the smoke went to 11 but they don't have an 11 <laughs> so it's just 10 plus oh, boy. um and driving and and driving there and and worrying I was going to be late, worrying that they'd let Maggie and her friends go outside that day because I was like I don't know, and I love the like her everyone who was taking care of my kid the summer is amazing, and I during the day had wanted to call just to see, just to double check that they weren't letting the kids go out today because I I thought that wouldn't be healthy for them, and I was like no I can't doubt these wonderful educators who are taking care of my kid and I don't want to be that parent but also I really want to make sure you know so like all day I was stalking myself from calling just to make sure that my kid didn't breathe the air outside that was my real worry and then as I was driving to pick her up and I was running late and the sun was beautiful because it's this like tangerine-y early sunset that you get when when the light is like that and, and so beguiling because it's the harbinger of the fucking end of the world is what i'm thinking as <laughs> i'm panicking and then i drove past the birthing center where maggie was born uh. so we had a, a a midwife uh and and my wife had a very healthy healthy birth and so we didn't need to have any interaction with doctors or the hospital or anything like that uh, and our midwife was amazing, but at the very last couple of days, pretty chill, pretty chill. And, and so uh, my, my wife essentially went into labor like the day before we went to the birthing center. We called and we were like, we think, we, we think she's in labor. Um, and she's like, ah, I, no, I think you're okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, go for a walk, go to a movie. You know, just like, just relax. The more time you spend at home, the better. And we were like, okay, okay. And then like labor continued overnight. And, you know, that evening we called again and we're like, we're pretty sure she's having contractions like a couple of minutes apart. She's And, and I was on the phone and passing the phone back and forth with my wife. And our midwife was like, well, Ellen, if you can talk to me. <laughs> then then your contractions aren't that bad. And in my mind, I was like, no, Ellen's just stoic. Like she, like, mm-hmm. I can see the pain and maybe you can't hear it on the, and we we're like, I really, I really, we really would appreciate it if you could come check. And she's like, okay, sure, I'll come by, but like, don't worry about it. Like, just like, I know it's uncomfortable these last couple of days, but like, tr- you know, it's going to be okay. And she came over 
and gave <laughs> my wife a quick ex- examination. And then pretty much she's like, okay, so uh, we need to go to the birthing center right now. And um, and it was like a 10-minute drive away. And she's like, and um, if your water breaks in the car, that's okay. Cole, if anything, if, if she starts going, wow. like, you know, anything happens in the car, just get to the birthing center. There's, you know... Like and we have to go now, or else we're gonna have the baby here. So let's get in the car and go right now. And wow. we're like, okay. She's like, no, now. And so as we were driving there, I was like, uh, like I was like, we and my dominant feeling is like we waited too long. This it's too late. It's like we 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 fucked up, and it's too late, and and we're in trouble, and and it's and and we're past the point. And then we and then we got there, and Maggie came, and it was perfect, and. Everyone's healthy, and our turnaround. We we were at the birthing center for like two hours. Wow! <laughs> like, like from like getting there, Helen giving birth, getting Amazing. Maggie cleaned up. They gave us sparkling apple juice and like champagne glasses, uh, and then we got Maggie all cleaned up and she and latched and had a little milk. And they're like, "Okay, great, you guys, why don't you go, go home? To your, like, you you can rest at home." Oh, okay, so we got home. Anyways, my dominant feeling driving there was like we waited too late and our and this is a a scary situation and i was and then flash forward six years later i'm driving to pick up maggie and i drive past that birthing center as the sky is on fire and the air is too poor to breathe and the heat is oppressive and i'm in the same car going to pick up maggie and feeling like just having such a visceral flashback again of being like we waited too long and it's a disaster and there's no turning back like like we we are where we are and this is a big problem and 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 you know maggie's birthday story ended up perfect and it and like and and our midwife was amazing and did and took perfect care of our family and did everything right and i don't share that same optimism for that outcome uh, for our world right now, but it was, but yeah. So, anyways, my panic is is glomming onto and attaching and associating with what's happening in our world in more visceral, physical ways than yeah. than I yeah, felt because, in a while. Because because this is true, we have passed the point of everything's going to be the same. Nothing's going to be the same. But then you know. I, I I go to the wisdom of Buddhism again, right? Like, it's like everything's impermanent. Everything's always changing. But then the mind wants to know, is it going to end? If the, is, is the world going to get in? Or are we going to get out of this? But the point is, we're in what we're in. And so the point is that if all of us, can we remember that all of us are shit scared on top of all the anxiety that day-to-day life brings that now we have this global can we remember that? And what is that going to call us to do? Are we going to get more protective? Are we going to stop, you know, leaning in, as I say, or are we going to try to be like, remember that great thing about you never know what's going on with anybody else. Can we use it to be kind? Can we use it? Like, because all of it is really our absolutely biggest mental health problems that we have no relationship with the reality of being human. None. None. Thank you, capitalism and patriarchy. None. We are all, what is our relationship to death? Right? 
you know, what are, what are you going to do? Are you going to, many people live their lives. In fact, the progressive conservatives slogan this year for the federal election is secure the future. Not fucking possible. You cannot do that. No one can do that. If we dealt with that reality, Cole, that that is the nuance and the complexity and the beautiful, uh, you know, you just in that, in that story you just shared, that is life. That, that moment of passing the birthing center, that fear, that love, that optimism, that crushing, there's no way. Our job, though, can we stay aware and see where the stories are grabbing us? So, you know, like if it's the story of doom and gloom, am I feeding that story? Am I believing that story? Am I? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. There's that other great philosophical and spiritual tradition of always going, maybe, like it's a very, like just a great word to have. Maybe, maybe the world's going to end. Maybe we're going to figure out some really cool things and maybe it's going to look better. But, but to deny the reality of that moment of your life. So the mad practice, the, the anti-mad practice would have been, you know, running into a light standard, like crashing your car because you're not present enough to realize how worried and anxious you are. Or, you know, you pull into a bar and get loaded and forget your daughter and all, you know, we have to celebrate mm -hmm. the win that is actually Cole staying in the car, getting to the next right thing, getting the daughter home because we, this idea that we can protect, that we can save, that we can figure out it's, it's, it's counterintuitive because we've been sold this idea that secure the future. I mean, what with, with zap straps, like what there is no, there's nothing flash floods, Everything's always been happening. Now it's going to keep happening. Are we going to use it to, you know, stay connected to what this bizarre ride of humanity actually is? Because that's what is the lie. You know, you can buy your way out of feelings. You can gamble your way out of feelings. You can drink and drug your way out of feelings. <sighs> nope. And so there's going to be those. I think the only thing we have to do is like believe in our capacity to stay with our feelings, you know, because I think, I think we were talking earlier about my, my dad died in, in July and, you know, I can, I can see uh, my mad practices have, have worked in a certain sense because I got through that without picking up anything that I might've picked up in the past, which includes alcohol, drugs, anger, um, uh, diversions of different kinds that I could have picked up because, yeah. you know, Joan Didion was writing in the sixties about how we all have our opium, our opiates, you know, I didn't do that. And, but I couldn't avoid the feelings. So I did feel a lot of confusion, a lot of deep sadness, a lot of regret, a lot of fear for many, many different reasons. But I felt those feelings the thing is that we can't just keep charging forward. We do have to figure out a way in, in relationship in, as, as families, as communities, to make space for people, to make it okay if you're having a really, if you're anxious beyond belief, how can we make room for that? So if you're at work and that happens, what happened to you in your car, that we can make room for that, that you don't feel like, oh, you can't, you can't do that. You can't have that feeling here. We have to make it, especially as, as so many very, very difficult things are happening. People are losing homes. We're losing ecosystems. We're losing 
people were, you know, we have to be able to stay connected in a way that is our true spirit. That's, that's going to be our only way through. Will it, how will it end? I don't know. I do not have a crystal ball, but I know that I have experienced a life of trying to secure my future and protect myself. And I have experienced life staying connected to other humans and giving a shit and all that that brings with it. And I would, I would choose door number two because I, what it, it's got to call us, it's got to call us towards kindness just because everybody's suffering, everybody's suffering. And if we can talk about it and help, I don't know. I've just experienced those two things where I've tried to protect myself and my feelings and I've tried to just like feel them so that if we see each other in anxiety, maybe we, we know how to help each other. You know, we pass on those skills. If someone is sitting down and, you know, uh, crying on a curb, I mean, I, I really do appear more crazy in the world now, feeding this, you know, throwing water up to the seagulls, sitting down and crying when I have to, um, trying to talk to that man who was ranting at the elections thing, which, you know, really didn't go well, but I would rather be that. Uh, and, and I think the only way we can do that is, is by talking about what's real Mm -hmm. and how overwhelming it is at times. And that's not an unnatural thing. There's nothing wrong with us for being frozen with fear and not knowing what to do. That's not what's wrong. What's wrong is that we think that's wrong. And, you know, the, will this call us to, to our true natures as we lose nature? Will it, will solutions? I don't, I, I, I lose hope and then I find it and trying to feed water to the seagulls who made it through the heat wave, I will report, but then we're later killed by larger birds. <laughs> so I had to look at the decomposing bodies of baby seagulls uh, for months and, and really, really had a hard time with that. But it did help me in my, you know, daily meditation of, of death and dying, which I've been really doing since my dad passed, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, bud. Eco grief, you know, the other word was um, that, that I loved. I think the more words we have for feelings, the, the better we can stay with them. That you can pronounce, that I know, but you can pronounce, which was S-O-L-A-S-T-A-L-G-I-A. -A -A. Which I pronounced as solastalgia. Solastalgia, which is this philosopher Albrecht's term for this feeling of feeling uh, homesick even though you're home and I love I love I love that word because I think our world wherever we live wherever we feel is home is is not is changing so quickly so it, it, it's just a good word for me to have like oh I I feel homesick for something that's not here anymore let's just pause a second because I have to pee <laughs> good self-care we'll keep talking good self -care. about soul nostalgia Thank you. Did I, am I, You're done. I pressed, did you come in here and do that? <laughs> did you do that? My God. <laughs> All right. I'm tempted to ask how was your pee, but I don't want a lot of details. And I imagine I know, it was, and it was, it's just one of those weird questions. It was good. It was I'm good. glad. I'm happy for what you. I, it was what I, <laughs> I got, I got what I was after. Well, 
that's uh that's all you can ask from a pee really um all right and i went and uh, paid for more expensive downtown calgary parking and thought about my car and i do actually even have a folding bike and i could have brought it and i just due to foggy thinking you know sometimes that's a that's a good mad practice like where do you uh where do you give yourself a break yeah like i was just like it was so that's i got you got it for travel and then I forgot. So I gave myself a little break. Okay. <laughs> and you can see, if you were here, you'd see that I'm not completely relaxed in that giving myself a break <laughs> quite yet. You're getting there. It's just, uh, sometimes I have to think of money like clamshells mm-hmm. to not get really, really tense about, you know, clamshells. Just just some clamshells. I yeah. went on my clam card. <laughs> So, yes, homesickness, even though you're home. So nostalgia, a feeling of homesickness, even while you're home. How, do, how does that show up for you? Like, how does that, how is that present? Well, um, you know, just that loss of uh, outdoor. I, I love being outdoors. And, yeah. you know, with, with the smoke, for some reason, because of prevailing winds, um, this particular year, Vancouver missed uh, a lot of it. But I was out here and, uh, you know, my dad died in July. And there was just this feeling of uh, correctness to the gloom and the light. Yeah. I was actually grateful for the smoke. Like it just made a lot of sense uh, in some poetically correct way. Yeah. Uh, you know, but that's how my mind works and just connecting that to to not being able to see the mountains or the hills or the seemed correct for the loss of my dad uh, but then um, I wanted so badly my daughter's uh, 30th birthday was coming up and I wanted so badly to take her to the Okanagan where my dad took us as kids to the same little motorboat free lake and we stayed in these cabanas and and then my parents took my daughter all through her childhood. And I just had this craving after the funeral and after hanging out with family to just get her there and have almost a little baptismal swim, you know, get it all. Yeah, yeah. So we pointed there, but um, we were driving through quite fires that were near and smoke. And we got to a Soyuz, a little town is Oliver in the Okanagan. And we got to a Soyuz and you know stayed in the motel and then the next day the smoke was even worse yeah so there was this you know although it wasn't home i guess it was like maybe there's another word for it's like a vacation sickness for yeah. when you're on vacation but uh, there was just that longing yeah and um recognizing that not just us um that longing especially after covid that people had to get away in the summer was was taken so I think it manifests that way that favorite places I, you know, really have to think about going to in the, in the fall hiking. And, um, and then in Vancouver, you, uh, you know, I, I'm a big, I like birds. You can see, you can, you can feel that, you know, there's certain kinds of birds around and certain not. And, uh, like I said, the, the we take green for granted mm-hmm. in Vancouver and it was crisped. And I think it's that those little things that, the coolness of Vancouver that used to, that even felt like a given in the yeah. summer we would be, you know, and we got up to 40 degrees. So 
I don't, yeah. I, I feel that sense of soul nostalgia thinking back especially over the last summer uh is because uh, we've talked like uh, i'm an insomniac and i especially during that heat wave like major trouble sleeping and the number of nights that i was you know there were times where i was lying on we have a little balcony that's just long enough i discovered for me to lie down on <laughs> on the floor and lying on the balcony at like 3 a.m with ice packs and a pillow that I pulled from the couch and smelling smoke and feeling like I was home, but not home. And like that I was, and, 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 you know, my family's sleeping and they're, they're able to sleep, which is great. And just lying there and feeling, feeling just bizarrely disconnected from where I live, who I'm with, any ability to do anything, and I and I didn't have that word at the time, soul nostalgia. Yeah. And spending a lot of time this summer actually fantasizing, and which is now being channeled into uh, a, a new play about living nocturnally. Like really, I was like, what, what would it be like if we made a shift? Yeah. Like, am, am I going to have to just live at night now? Yeah. Like, do I do I forego the day? Yeah, when, that's really interesting. Of of like, and and maybe maybe this is this is how I'm you know in a couple of years from now during the summer making a formal shift yeah. i mean like i'm just gonna sleep i'm gonna i'm gonna go to bed when the sun comes up and re-emerge when the sun goes down and this is and that's the that's the that's the 16 hours that i get during the day yep. is like a little bit of sunrise a little bit of sunset and yep. mostly living at night yeah yeah i mean it's it's you know you think about um hotter countries too that you know would have siestas you know hard, yeah you know and the even that rhythm that we have in the day that does not work for everyone for not just uh weather reasons right you know all of all of that you know i, I mean i think all the time about the structure of time and the rhythms of weather and you know like people who you know if if you if you get angry at the weather that that's a really good starting point for uh, maybe some work on acceptance yeah. <laughs> because uh, that's a really, that is something we, you know, like I, I grew up here and I feel at home in this weather system, you know, I feel like Chinooks and make very much sense to my mercurial mind that I grew up in a place where the weather was always changing and that you could be in the deep, deepest cold and then a wind would come down from the mountains and you'd be wearing shorts and playing football. You know, like I, I, it makes sense to me that I grew up here. It also makes sense to me that I find comfort in the rainiest months in Vancouver because the, the sky is domed in this gray. The world feels a little more contained. I love, there's less people in all my favorite spots. I, I really like the feel of rain. It makes sense to me both places. But that's where my, can you say that word for me again? Because Soul nostalgia. Yeah. So what I will have to do is the type of dyslexia I have, I will have to write this out phonetically and then write each of the sounds out in a separate color. And then I'll be able to see it and and hear hear it in my mind and say it but i haven't done that yet yeah but um that's the feeling of because the the summer that was all off you know i'm not one of those vancouverites who like moved there because i was there on a blue sunny day which many people move to the coast 
on those days. And it's then, and then from then on, it's like, you know, you know about these extended periods of gray, which I love. No, I don't know about those, you know, and I, I, I think it's, I feel homesickness for those weather patterns. Like, and when I did move to Vancouver, although I loved the rain, I missed winter. I missed the turn of, you know, and when I moved back here and, you know, I, I always have to go somewhere with snow in the winter with a lot of snow. Yeah. You can get up to the mountains really quick in Vancouver and get snow, but it feels funny to live in a place where, you know, that, and now that's being, that's going, you know, the rhythms of anyone's weather are not so guaranteed. Yeah. So, yeah, well, let me know if you live at night. I'll try to meet you in part of that. Uh, you know, that's, uh, I'll be interesting to see how that play turns out. <laughs> Uh, do you know what I will probably do tonight? Which is a, a common thing I do. I'm assuming I won't sleep much tonight. Is because uh, I, I, I like I really love nature documentaries. Mm -hmm. Richard Attenborough as a person and a voice is very important to me, um, and they're very, <laughs> very soothing. And so I'll probably watch some Planet Earth something tonight. Great. And just you uh, talking about the seagulls who are killed by bigger birds, which I understand, I, I'm not willing to accept yet because I have a unified theory of animals that I've <laughs> gathered from planet Earth. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Where, how does it work? Uh, male primates, mm -hmm. huge assholes. Mm -hmm. Female insects, huge mm -hmm. assholes. Okay. <laughs> uh, all fish, awesome and weird, but like, mis no, Fish mysterious. I okay, was like let me start bracing again. myself for like, don't tell me fish are assholes. I no, was no, no. Okay, let me start again. Oh, thank God. Male primates. Yes. Huge assholes. Yes. Female insects. Yeah. Huge assholes. <laughs> yeah. All fish. Just fucking weird. Just mysterious, weird. Yes, love them. All birds. Amazing and awesome and beautiful. Yeah, I hate to, you know, I, I live amongst predatory birds. So there's yeah. a lot of eagles. There's a lot of hawks. I do. I do love raptors. Yeah, I just, they're gorgeous. I just don't think of them killing other birds. Yeah, that's what they do. I know. So you can be. I've had an experience, like uh, sort of like a Forrest Gump experience, where I don't know if you remember in the beginning of that movie, it's just this feather, and he's like following it along in the wind. Well, I have had this experience. <laughs> Talk about a juxtaposition, where I'm walking down the street and it starts raining feathers. <laughs> These soft, gray. And then I look up <laughs> and I see an eagle tearing apart a pigeon. And, you know, that, that's another good life image. It's yeah. like that. It's like, wow, it's raining feathers because an eagle oh, there's has murder just murdered a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> so I can enjoy both those moments, but, you know, also hold the reality of them. Yeah. Yeah. Birds are um, like we have crows and I happen to live in an apartment now that that faces north and so i see the or east and i i see the what, what i face northeast anyway i see the crows which we have many of in vancouver return to their roost every night so they fly at twilight and it's gorgeous and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them and it's amazing but you know Birds, birds, I'm, yeah, birds are not all, birds have. They're not all birds of paradise some, or like starlings and murmurs. Yeah, there's some, uh, you know, well, you got to eat. So I don't know, I don't know if having to eat makes you an asshole, but there are some asshole birds, I would say, in your, in your uh, worldview there. <laughs> you know, but, but I mean, 
you know, that's another thing. Like, that's another great example of loving nature, but nature is not a theme park, right? And I feel like I, I talk a lot about this in, um, in when we're talking about preserving nature. It can't just be for a theme park, right? Yeah. These are habitats. These are, yes, we should not go in this part. This is where, you know, birds nest and land and whatever. It's not actually about the viewpoints to this particular marsh. It's just about letting a marsh be. But, you know, we've disnified everything, everything, including, I would say, our emotions. Yeah. Right? So that when when we think about uh, nature out there and then human nature in here, like how we have sanitized, organized let go of the mystery. Like, you know, you and I have talked about this, but I think it ties into eco grief. Like what are we grieving, you know, in our own natures that we thought we could count on that we actually can't, you know, like so much is predetermined genetically, you know, like what we're susceptible to and what we're not, you know, so much is predetermined. Like these ideas that we have of being together or being rational, it's, it's the system that was devised in the enlightenment, you know, like this is a normal brain. What, what now we're starting to go, you know, I worry about the, you know, what we're losing in the ecosystem of humans. Cause we don't talk about each other as separate species, but I, I wouldn't mind talking about each other that way because we're losing a lot of diversity in humans. Where are the eccentrics? Mm-hmm. Where are the young, crazy wild birds? I, I just think we're, you know, in an attempt to secure the future, you know, I, I want all that diversity, all that wildness. And and maybe, I don't know, we can, I don't think we can avoid eco-grief at this time at all. Yeah. No way. That would be, that would be crazy to try and do that. But maybe we can celebrate what's here and help each other. Even access to nature, right, is such a privileged, such a privileged thing. And, you know, trying to get people out um, I don't know if you remember Jeff McMurchie, but he was a big disability artist and activist and was uh, one of the key people who got Canada Council funding, you know, on stream for persons with uh, mad, deaf and disabled artists. And he uh, was a wheelchair user. And man, he was just like, if there was a path, you know, like a wood way into the woods, like that was like his heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and there must have been. I don't think there's more now than when Jeff died. I don't think there's more now, you know, so maybe we can do that. See how many people we can. That's because I think that's true. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize what we're losing because we live in such big cities. There's not a a connection to it. And maybe, maybe that's some of the mad practice we could do is just getting, getting, getting folks to the land. Yeah, like access to access to nature is a privilege is a really interesting political dynamic in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like politicians uh, have found themselves in trouble this year, not realizing that that it's it like it is actually quite decoupled from traditional. There's a paradox of of conservatism in Calgary that is simultaneously very pro uh, extraction uh, industries and oil and gas industries, but hyper defensive and, and, uh, conservationist, Mm, uh, mm. towards the mountains in particular and, and other like natural, um, ecosystems in, in, uh, uh, Alberta. Uh, we, we saw it where there was, you know, the Alberta government 
thought that their base would be more supportive of open strip coal mining right. in the eastern slopes right. in the Rockies. But no, like right. there's more of an element of, of folks that in some ways you would, you would think are not very supportive of major climate justice yeah. stuff yeah. because they work in urban centers for oil and gas companies, yeah. but are hyper defensive and protective of the mountains. Mm. And, and there is a cognitive dissonance there that yeah. is fascinating. Yeah. Um, that is uh, just one of those things that is a more complex shade to the political dynamics in Alberta than folks would think at a glance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was just, like, thinking about, you know, that even the disconnect between, like, we are on a globe. Like, we are on a, we are on a planet. We are on a planet that's spinning. We are on a planet that's going around the sun. We are on a planet that wobbles every 26,000 years. We don't know exactly when that is. We are on a planet that is uncertain a, a future cannot be secured and never could be secured on this planet that 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 feeling like i love watching uh earth uh nature shows as well but i really like learning about planets and the earth and i just i don't know why but it brings me comfort and i think that we have a choice even now are we gonna are we gonna remember the awe or the awful oh thank you very much i'm Whoa. here all week i'm here all week my new book awe or awful in which i look at the way our perspective oh my god but but i do i for some reason those things don't scare me those things make me remember this what a rare and incredible experience it is to be on this planet and to that, that, that even the media about all the things are changing forever and we did do it <laughs> so yeah. how am I going to grapple with that, but also be like, oh my God, look at, look at, it's a little woolly bear. There's caterpillars on the coast. I'm not sure if they're here. They're called woolly bears and they're orange and, and black stripes. And my uh, partner got really into them and made little like prints and things. And I read all about woolly bears. One thing you read about one little creature and how it moves through the world and how it came to be. And they turn into these butterflies and you're like, I want to be that, and I like getting older because I can be more and more the crazy old lady who's like, ah, that save the woolly bears, you know, <laughs> that, that get whatever my thing is. Like, I honestly think there's more freedom, but it's, um, the earth wobbles, Cole. We don't know when the wobble's going to happen. When they, when they built the big dam in China, the, the earth kind of shifted a little bit on its act. Like, what? Like, this is, this is what I mean. So the awe of okay when the smoke isn't here can we take maggie and 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 show her like dolly varden trout like actually in the like the wow of it yeah and can we people who have no connection to that at all can we is there something we can what are the mad practices that we can like the the reality of yes we have gone too far and it's never going to be the same maybe there's some things we can do i'm not sure but would you like to come see this little trout with me i don't know yeah i don't know but i i here we are so far Whew. yeah so mental health is everyone's like we're all diagnosed i'm diagnosing the entire world with general anxiety disorder right now right now so that means we need to make space for that in ourselves and everybody we can't assume that anyone even if they appear to be are together are not affected and even if someone's an asshole to me be it an eagle <laughs> or a human 
can I, I'm going to mad practice 56751B. Can I let someone be irritated or irritating to me and not jump on them? I don't know. I'm going to try. That's going to be my save the world. I don't know. That was good. As you were saying that, our we're here recording at Inside Out Theater in uh, in Calgary, and our neighbor is an art gallery who sometimes hangs art during that. the day. Would... And so there's a little, so we share a wall with someone hammering into it as we're recording. So it's a good little, like, let's put this practice I... into practice. Yeah, another as I'm being practice. irritated by. Yeah, but but what's really interesting is when I hear a new sound or a new voice, right? I was like, I'll have to ask Cole after. <laughs> If yeah. we heard banging because I thought, oh, that's new. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. No, it's but it's, it's real. For, it's for there. Yeah, it's for real there. Okay. What are you... Uh, I'm going to go look at the river again because I'm a big fan of the Bow River. A big, That's a place of home for me. Maybe I'll see some... Uh, Calgary has a lot of uh, great wildlife here, city wildlife. The rabbits. Yeah. The hares. Their hares, actually. Amazing. They have uh, magpies. I don't know why, but magpies don't come to BC. Mm. They're strictly an Alberta bird. Love the magpies. I also, I know you're not supposed to, but I quite like the gophers. They're just so resilient. And then um, there's a lot of osprey that live here by the river. Yeah. Return to the same nest every year. So maybe I'll go and have a little peek, see what else I can uh, see before I go back to cleaning out the garage. What are you going to do? That's nice. So I, I have a little bit of a less creative work to do, but uh, I've got a little writing time set aside for myself. So yeah, because a, a friend and I are collaborating on a piece about a, a character who starts to live at night. Live at night. Loving it. So I look forward to write that. Write that out a little bit. Look forward to reading that. Yeah. All right, my friend. Okay, thanks, buddy. Thank you. Wonderful. All right. Dunk, 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 dunk. Thank you for listening. If our brains are making sense to your brains, there are a couple of ways you can help us out. Connect us with more people. If there are folks in your life who you think would enjoy spending some time with us, please pass this along to them. And, and I know you hear it on every podcast, but liking, subscribing, reviewing on whatever platform you're listening to makes a huge difference, especially in these early days. And if you'd like, you can support us with a little bit of money on Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash madpractice. Big thank yous to Camille Craig for producing and composer Dana Ayotte for our fabulous theme song. If you'd like to learn more about us or our work, head to madpractice.org and chat with us on Twitter and Instagram. But most importantly, take care of yourself and each other. Love you, Cole. Love you, JD. Love you, Cole. Love you, JD.